wherever, we're going to come up with something super specific that fits their criteria. Then I go and find the property for them and I get 90 days to do that. You're listening to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hey, welcome back, Right Club Nation. Sarah, how's it going? Going awesome. We were at the Investor Forum yesterday and we've had a booth for the Right Club and got tons of great conversations, uh, saw lots of great investors and it was a ton of fun. Yeah, for sure. I'm drinking tea and have like lozenges. I think I talked for like maybe 10 straight hours yesterday and not that it's not, that's usually not a challenge, but the voice is a little worn out on me. Yeah, it was a really interesting day. A lot of a lot of investors, a lot of people there and a lot of good conversations, a lot of people actively doing stuff. I know you were on one of the panels presenting yesterday and you had asked the crowd like who's got one to five or five or more and it was like boom, like the lot of the room are actively doing stuff. So for those people out there saying, oh, the market's this or the market's that, it's tough to buy, BS because there's a lot of people out there doing it. So find a way and then do it. There's no excuse. Yeah, absolutely. The, the panel, it was, it was really awesome. So there was four of us and we were talking about how to scale our businesses and we all do something different, which is, which is great to get different points of views and different insights. And you're not going to, a lot of people think, Hey, how do I get to 10 properties or how do I get to 20 or hundred properties, whatever it is. You're not saving for every single down payment. I mean, to get started, like your first one or two, unless you have a JV or a money partner, you're probably saving, but afterwards, there's just so many tricks and things that you could do to reuse that money, to pull it out from a, a property, refinance it and pull it into another one or to do JVs. Like there's just so many things that you can do to scale your business. And that's what we were talking about. Yeah, no, it was, it was a great panel. I enjoyed it. And there was a lot of great presenters there. And again, it's about getting into those rooms and, and we touched upon it. We, uh, we just finished the podcast with Sarah Etter and she touched upon it is, is the relationship. Yeah, we are buying properties and bricks and sticks and they're on certain streets and areas and cities and all that kind of stuff and talk about our tenants and who our customers are. But really what I think it boils down to is the relationship is no matter what strategy, what you're doing, it's next to impossible to do everything yourself, right? You can't be the mortgage broker, the agent, the home inspector. It's tough to do all that. So you need really good relationships with people that you trust that you know that uh, you have a good working relationship with that you can reach out to and, and get the answers to questions that know or, or guide you in a path. Like I know what you're doing a lot for a lot of your students as well too, right? That shown them the way of what you've done. It's not the only way to do it, but you've done it. You've experienced it. You've gone through it. And it's like, Hey, if you can help them avoid, make some mistakes that you made along the way, that helps them advance a little bit further and a little bit faster. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I first started, I probably should have, now that I think about it, hired somebody. And it doesn't have to be seventy, eighty thousand dollars Like, it could still be very reasonable. But hired somebody to just help me at least learn faster. What I found out in two, three, four years, I could have found out in a six-month time frame, as an example. So that money probably would have been very easily paid off after a couple things that I didn't have to make mistakes over, right? <laughs> when I first started. So definitely for sure. Now, and Sarah, Sarah Edder is actually speaking as well, May 28th. She's going to be talking about joint venturing and raising private capital and putting deals together. So if you guys are interested, come out to that event, come out to all of our events. Like we'd love to see you guys. One of the, the reasons that we do these podcasts is that 
We want to allow others to, to get to know each other that come out to the right club and to see Sarah, you'll see lots of guests that we have and there, there are a lot of the regulars that come out and I think it's important to, for us to be able to create that sense of community and that belonging and, and really to help with a networking piece so that people can get to know one another. Absolutely. And you know what, and a key, I had a really good conversation with one of, uh, one of the right club members yesterday at the forum and he comes out to a lot of the events and, and he says, you know, one of his favorite parts about coming out there is that he goes, there's a lot of active action takers, people that are actually going out and doing it and debunking that it's possible that you can do it. People are out there doing it today. As we're speaking, as we're recording this podcast, people are putting in offers, buying investment properties. It's nonstop all the way around. And uh, it's great to be in that environment, looking to people that have done it and find that person that's doing what or doing what you want to do and find that way to do it. And, and Sarah at her talks about it in the podcast a little bit as well too, is that she gained a lot of experience by working with somebody that was doing it and seeing what is this, what is this possible? And she was there just originally, I think is she said it was a kind of an admin position and then saw what was possible and what was, what was available to do. And sure enough, right. She started doing it on your own and you're not reinventing the wheel. This is all people have been buying real estate, like since medieval times, right? Absolutely. If you're wondering, hey, I have no money, I have no credit. I mean, Sarah's story is incredible because she, not even that long ago, I think it was like three, four years ago, she started and she had a ton of debt and she had horrible credit and you'll hear why in the, in the interview, but she decided to start and put herself out there and make things happen. And just in a few short years, look at where, where she started versus where she is now. And I think the networking piece has been huge for her, putting herself out there and then building that trust in the brand. That is all really important because in order to find a money partner, usually you're not going to ask somebody, hey, do you want to give me $100,000? Like there's a little bit more yeah. involved and there's a, it takes time. You've really got to build that credibility. And so Sarah does a great, great job with that. She's from a very, very small town, Sault Ste. Marie, and she's had an incredible story. And she's a young woman doing it, which I also love very much because it's always nice to have uh, other women represent. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the interview. I know you guys had kind of worked on a project together too. So I consider Sarah, both you guys, well, Sarah, obviously, Edder, a friend as well. But yeah, let us know what you think about this podcast and other podcasts. Listen to the other ones, rate and review us, let us know. Get onto the Right Club website, reach out to us. If you want to be a guest on the website, please, we want to hear your story too, how you're able to, to do what you're doing. And, and we want to hear what you really think about what we're doing. Rate, review us. If you think it's worth it, give us five stars. We really love putting these together. So let's get to the podcast. All right, let's do it. So Sarah Edder, welcome to the show. Hey guys, really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Edder. Right <laughs> <laughs> so I guess for today's show, Alfonso and everyone will refer to you as Edder and me as Larby. <laughs> yeah, because if I say Sarah, Sarah, I don't know who, uh, who I'm going to be talking to. You guys don't know who I'm talking to. <laughs> That's hilarious. So Sarah is a good friend of ours, and we've met Sarah at the Right Club, actually probably close to when we first started the club a couple of years ago. Yeah. And Sarah is a young millennial, successful, and your expertise is, is raising private capital. And so we want to hear about your story. We want to hear about how you do that and, and how you started because you really started from the ground up. So tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah. Okay. So I'm originally from a really small town, Sault Ste. Marie. If any of you haven't heard of it, it's like eight hours north. <laughs> so I've been living down the GTA for about 10 years. I was originally a professional athlete. So I was an equestrian. I traveled around the world. And so, yeah, it's definitely people always ask me like how I make the, made the leap between the two. And it's just, it's such a random story, but I do know, and the part I'm always super open about with people is how much debt I got myself into being an athlete. Like my whole goal was just like getting to the Olympics. I wasn't thinking about my paycheck. I wasn't thinking about my credit score. I was just like, if I needed to travel to Florida, charge it on a credit card. If I needed to go to Europe, charge it on a credit card. And I got myself into some significant problems in my early 20s. So... Well, and that's a good point. And, and, you know, obviously you're doing it for a sport with, like you said, you're an athlete trying to get to the Olympics, but a lot of other people just have probably a lot worse habits as well too, than actually just a sport that they're spending a lot of money building up a lot of credit card debt that they're going towards too. So what was kind of the light, the shining light that made you say, Oh my God, like I need to change something. I need to fix something. What was that? That was there an aha moment or was there a few moments? What was that? Uh, it was definitely like a general progression. So as I said, you know, I was kind of traveling around the world. I ended up moving back to Canada and starting my own business, which is really exciting. I was 24 on my own, had my own horse farm. That part was great, but I felt like I wasn't prepared for being a business owner. And that's when I think I got myself into the most debt, right? Like I had this farm, I had all this overhead. I had no clue what I was doing. And I started to get like really panicky. Like I was like, this is kind of scary. Like bringing in a lot of income, but when I did my expenses, I realized like I'm actually in like net like losses every month. And I was like, I can't keep living like this. This is crazy. And then from there, obviously you guys know Justin. So I had met my now uh, long-term partner and it was like the same thing. I was like, listen, if I want to have this life, there's no way I can continue to have this business. So I decided to kind of dive back into the corporate world. And that's when I ended up working for a property management company. So that was kind of my entry into, into real estate. That's very cool. So I think that's a great story. So property management, there's some people that self-manage, there's some people that, that hire property managers. Talk to us about like what your role was in that business and I guess how you decided, Hey, I'm going to now do this by myself. <laughs> I was really fortunate because so like I went to business school like in my early 20s and so I was like you know what I don't care like I just need to take any job right now I was not discriminatory like so this property management job like it was just random it worked because it was part-time it was contract it was not with a large corporate company it was just with like a small local guy that had started up and when I first started like I had no clue like what he was doing no clue what he was talking about I just went in the office every day filling out paperwork you know talking to tenants doing stuff and then we start talking more and he was a rain member he was actually the first guy to ever encourage me to go to to rain that was my first real estate networking group and I realized this was like a thing like people invested in real estate as a career and I was like what do you do and he's like I need joint ventures and I use other people's money to buy these like six plexes and I just thought he was insane Insane. But he slowly started to like teach me about cash flow and teach me about acquisitions. And throughout the role, I went from paperwork to actually helping with the acquisitions, finding off-market deals, putting in offers. I've even gone to the landlord tenant board a couple times on the company's behalf, which is pretty interesting. So oh, wow. sorry yeah. to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it was not well, they weren't my tenants per se, yeah. so it was but it was pretty scary <laughs> yeah it's not not one of my favorite places in the world but obviously that's a, that's a really cool experience because 
you're gaining that experience through this other person's business, right? That things that come up with tenants and properties yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And, and like you said, it's like you got exposed to this whole world that you had no idea about. And it's kind of like similar stories with all of us. It's like, you're like, what? People are doing this <laughs> as a job as a full time, right? So like you can't wait. I think we said it a few times on the podcast. Larry, like you can't unlearn it, right? Once you, once you see this world or once you, once you kind of start seeing a couple people gaining success, you're like, well, I can do that too. So, so what was the strategy that maybe that kind of stuck out for you or that you liked or, or, or what you're, what you're doing now? Maybe let's talk about that, like kind of what you're doing now and, and what, what led up to that. Yeah, I think it was pretty interesting. What I really liked about his situation was that he was originally an engineer. He was in grad school when he and his wife purchased like their first couple of rentals. And he then became a member, I think of Keyspire and realized that I could spend my next three years going into more debt, going to grad school, just hoping for a good corporate job afterwards, if he's lucky, or he's like, he could take control of his own like financial destiny by becoming like a joint venturer. And so as I learned more about joint ventures, I was like, this is cool. And unlike other people, like I actually got to see it like firsthand. Like I wasn't just reading books. I saw him like buy property after property after property with joint venture partners. So I knew this was not like a pipe dream. This was a real thing. So I thought, wow, I'm in the same situation. Like I have no mortgages. I have ruined credit. I don't have any money saved up. If I can make myself like, like the expert partner, learn everything I can about managing properties, whatever, you know, my money partners need, I can jump into real estate too. And so that's really, really what stuck out to me. And so I, instead of focusing on like one market or one model in particular, I just focus entirely on becoming really good at sales and just really good at like structuring joint venture partnerships and things like that. So tell us about the first property that you purchased. It's actually a cool story. I, I was actually for another joint venture partner. So he was a family friend of a friend and we, I met him at church and he was like, yeah, I own a couple student rentals in Waterloo. Like let's buy something together. And I was like, so shocked. Like he was just giving me all this money and with no track record. Right. So I went to see this private student rental in Brantford and the guy that was selling it was actually so cool too. And he's my best money partner to date. We still do a ton of deals together. And he was like, yeah, like I'm selling this house. I'm liquidating my portfolio. I have 15 rentals. You know, now I'm just going to go retire off of all this cash and stuff. He's like, uh, he was basically the expert partner in his own joint ventures. So I was like, oh, this guy's so cool. And so he kind of gave me this interesting opportunity to for him to hold like a vendor take back and for me to kind of like get in with him and like share because he didn't want to do the management anymore he, he was going to retire they bought a winter residence in florida him and his wife they go there from like november to april every year and he's like yeah like if you want to take over the management and things like that he's like let's work something out so that's actually how i was able to to kind of get in. It was just really good timing and he was just in like a perfect situation. So yeah, so that, that's really great. And I know a lot of people talk about the vendor take backs, but uh, the VTV. So for our listeners, for the podcast nation, for maybe the people out there that haven't done a vendor take back or don't <laughs> yeah. even know what a vendor take back is, why don't you kind of walk them through the process and, and kind of how you negotiated, you know, the terms, how it works and kind of explain that. 
Absolutely. So vendor take back mortgages can work in several different ways. I mean, obviously they're very popular in large multifamily buildings. People have built in a ton of equity and sometimes it benefits a seller to keep and hold the mortgage rather than sell right away. Either there's like a dip in the market or they haven't built up enough equity. They'd actually not not necessarily take a loss on the property, but they're not going to make the profit they want. So by the seller holding the mortgage and then charging you whatever your agreed interest rate is, you get the benefit of not having to go to the bank and qualify. And they've essentially sold you a property and they're still making monthly income and cash flow off of it. So sometimes it's like a perfect situation. And it was that, that he needed a certain amount for this property. And he knew in the current market, it just, he wasn't going to get it. So, and again, he was kind of in this like situation where he's like, I don't want to manage this anymore. I'm over it. So we managed to kind of come up with these terms. Initially, he wanted me to put 50% down, like in capital. And I told him, listen, like, I'm just getting started. Like, I don't have that kind of cash. So he was just a really trustworthy guy to be perfectly honest. I don't think every joint venture partner would do this for you. But he, we kind of just agreed to like terms and like a sum for me taking over the management of the the property with the intent that like in a year we would sell it and I take care of all that kind of stuff. So that's really cool. So let's fast forward to this year. I think you're telling me that you've raised like a million plus dollars. How does somebody that goes from being X amount of dollars in debt and finding this one person, okay, that's, that's awesome. How do you now scale that and make it a business? And that's definitely a question I get a lot because in doing what I do, it's all a numbers game because I'm getting either 50% of a property or 25% of a property. It means I have to do twice as many deals as like the average investor that's holding something like a hundred percent. So literally what I did over like the next year and leading into this year was I spend a good four to five hours a day strictly on raising capital, like jobs or tasks. So that means like social media, email lists. I do Facebook advertising. I do YouTube. Like basically I hit a whole bunch of channels every single day. And that's that's how I, I got started over. It was like a slow go in the beginning after I got this first guy, but I really just put myself out into the world as like, I'm a joint venture partner. This is what I do. Give me money. So I talk to family, friends, I go to networking events and talk about it there. Basically anyone that sees my face anywhere on the internet, in person, like knows that I'm raising capital and you kind of just have to do that in order to kind of get enough exposure. Awesome. So now you've been, you've been at it for a little while now and you obviously gotten some success in raising some capital and working with some partners. What are some tips for those people that like maybe don't necessarily have a deal, but they're constantly looking for deals? Because I, I think there's a book. I haven't read it, but I love the title is Dig the Well Before You're Thirsty, right? right? And that you need to find the capital before the deal or do you need to find the deal before the capital? How, what, what would you recommend or what's your advice? Well, I know Alfonso, we've had this conversation before that it always seems like you have more than one or the other at any given time. In my experience from doing it, it's kind of like a feedback loop. I would say in the beginning, it's more useful to find the money partners first. Then like I get them to sign something called like a letter of intent. So once we've agreed to like a specific type of property, whether that's a duplex, a single family home in Kitchener, Waterloo, like just wherever, we're gonna come up with something super specific that fits their criteria. Then I go and find the property for them and I get 90 days to do that. And they're like locked in with me. Honestly, in this market, in the GTA, everybody knows like it's tough. It's competitive, even though we're kind of like in a soft market. And if you don't do that, you will find yourself 
scrambling. And sometimes it sucks too. Like if you find a really good deal and you don't have capital or money partners lined up, you start to lose these like deals and it gets really disheartening because you can't close on them. So, but eventually like you do get to a point where you have like, I look what I have now is like a newsletter list of all my potential capital partners and JVs that now I can send them off market deals and kind of get bites and hits from, from my network. But it takes time to, to kind of get to that point. So you mentioned off-market deals. I'm sure there's going to be lots of different ways that you're trying to find these properties. They're probably not on MLS for the most part. How do you go about doing that? Again, I'm all about covering as many fronts as possible. So I do everything from my own feet on the street. So door knocking, uh, mailers, things like that. But mostly I've just developed really fantastic relationships with realtors and wholesalers in all of my different markets. So my realtors know I'm serious. They bring me off market deals first. But again, like when it comes to raising capital off market deals, it's all about like relationship building, right? Like my JVs don't love me because I give them good deals. They like me because I've developed a rapport and they know they can trust me. And it's the same with my wholesalers. Like I've met all of my wholesalers in person. I've taken them for coffee. Same with my realtors. Like I've developed that like face to face, like relationship that they know I'm serious. They know what I'm looking for. And they're probably going to bring me things before the average investor. And that's so important that you touch upon that is that that relationship. And yes, we are in the real estate business and there's multifamilies and there's duplexes and there's condos and there's conversions and flips and we always talking about the strategy and the property and, and what we can do in the opportunities. But I think what's underlying of it all or, or kind of all encompassing is the relationships is that we always talk about the network, right? Your network is your net worth and, and, and those deals and people knowing that they can come to you because you have that backing, you have the capital, you have the people that are ready to put in those deals. That's the hard work that a lot of people I think forget. They get caught up in the spreadsheet or they get caught up in the deal itself but they're going, okay, where do I go and take this? Right. So you no, know, why don't you just talk a little bit about, cause I know, you know, you said out mailers and flyers and it was a really cool. And I got to kind of see a little bit of a behind the scenes when you guys found that property in Brantford, you guys just sent out like it was mailers, right? Like you guys were literally knocking on doors, sending out flyers and getting people to call you. Right. So maybe find, I don't know if it's that deal or another deal, but what's kind of like a really unique story where you found either a deal or an investor that, just through your network and feet on the street type of work. Oh, that's a good one. Well, actually I can tell you like a recent story because I really like to talk about stuff that's happening like in the moment. And funny enough, when Sarah Larby and I did that flip last summer and we were out door knocking and, and things like that in the fall, I was sending out some of like my own mailers, uh, like handwritten notes and things. And it had like okay success, but like it's one of those things that you have to be super consistent with it. And I mean, I'm not a wholesaler or a flipper. So I was like, okay, it's fine. And literally two days ago, I just got a phone call from a lady that saw one of my mailers from last October and called me up and now we're putting in an offer on her property tomorrow and closing on it in July. That's so awesome. That's awesome. Mailers are like, they're magical. Even if at the time you don't feel like you're making a lot of traction, they float around like friends give them and to family and, and stuff like that. And you just, you never know. <laughs> hey, Right Club Nation. We wanted to take a moment to pause the podcast for a second and introduce you to our amazing sponsor, Danielle Chason, founder of Strategic Success Consulting. Danielle has been a longtime supporter and member of the Right Club, and she's also spoken on her stage many times before. Danielle is an expert real estate investor and has successfully completed many rehab projects, burrs, buy and holds, legal secondary suites, 
and several joint venture partnerships. She has also raised millions in private funds. Absolutely. And she's also a passionate educator and she's hosting some upcoming workshops that you will not want to miss. So at her upcoming workshop called Reverse Engineering Real Estate, she's going to dial into the right investment strategy for you based on your current situation, your personal goals, and your resources that you have available. She's going to give you the tools you need to start investing immediately after completing the workshop. To get more information about Danielle and their upcoming workshops, please make sure to visit events.strategicsuccessconsulting.com. Again, that's events.strategicsuccessconsulting.com. You won't be disappointed. Danielle is a wealth of knowledge and loves to share her expertise. Thank you, Danielle, for being an awesome supporter of The Right Club and sponsoring our podcasts. Now back to the podcast. That's, that's amazing. So what are some of the structures that you're doing? Are you doing like a 50-50 joint venture partnership? Are you structuring the differently? Is your money partner also holding the mortgage? Like what's your, your standard typical deal look like? This is my new favorite topic because I felt like when I first got started and I was reading all the books, going to seminars, everyone told me 50-50. And I don't know if it's just because now with like the tighter mortgage regulations with the way like housing prices are going, it seems to me like that typical 50-50 split just isn't the case anymore. And so what I started doing is something kind of crazy. People don't always like agree with what I'm doing, but again, like I'm a millennial, maybe whatever, I think outside the box, but I'm getting a lot of like people in their mid to late twenties that can hold mortgages. These are guys that, or women that have like good corporate jobs, good T4s, but like they're young, like they might've had student debt, like they don't have a lot of capital saved up. And then I have another demographic of people that are like, have a lot of equity in their homes. They want to retire soon, but they definitely don't want to hold mortgages. So Late last year, I kind of saw this as like an opportunity. I have all these people coming to me saying, hey, Sarah, I want to invest. I want to hold mortgages. You've got to help me with the down payment. And then I started meeting with, like I said, this other demographic that's like, oh, I really, really want to own real estate, Sarah, but I can't hold a mortgage. So I thought, okay, this is amazing. Let me find a model that works for these two demographics and let's start pairing them up if they're okay with that. And it's actually been super successful. So it's why we decided to start doing more like small level development projects duplex conversions, triplex conversions, where there's a big jump in equity off the hop. It allows us to refinance, pull out a lot of like my money partner's capital and kind of satisfies both parties in owning like a really good cash flowing asset. So that's kind of what I've been leaning towards this past year. That's, that's yeah, and, really cool. And, sorry, I didn't cut you off there, but it's, it's solving a problem for both of those demographics, right? Where one has capital and can't qualify. One can qualify and doesn't have capital. You're kind of coming in and solving a problem for both parties, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think I think it's really cool. So can we get like an example? Like there's probably people listening at this, to this at home and saying, you know, what does this look like? Like I'm, I'm a little confused. Can you break it down on like maybe like a last deal that you did where you combined? I mean, I don't know if it's still fairly new or not, but that you've combined a mortgage holder, a money partner and how you structured it. Like is the money person getting 20% is the mortgage holder getting a certain amount or how is that all looking? Yeah, that's actually a really great question. I'm finding that it's it varies a little bit depending on whether the mortgage holder can put down any capital at all. If they can put down 
say like a chunk of capital, whether towards like a renovation budget or a portion of the down payment. And then my money partner is only bringing like just strictly some capital. The way I do it is like in that sense, it's a traditional 50, 50. So I'll get 50% of the, as being the working partner. And then it's kind of up to the other two parties to figure out how to split the other 50%. Usually it's simple. They're usually pretty grateful that they just get to like own a property and I solve this problem. So it's usually just like a 25, 25 split for them on both sides. And people might ask like, why would I only want 25% of a property? But I mean, Hey, like if you're looking at retiring and your RSP is, you know, giving you like 1.2% return and you can park, you know, a hundred grand and a property that's giving you, you know, like $300 in cash flow a month, that 25% share is actually pretty decent. So it's going to be a percentage of cash flow. And then at the end, like you guys, I'm assuming have an exit strategy where they get 25, 25 and then 50 of the equity as well. Right. Correct. So obviously I'm a buy and hold investor. So we try to hit that five year minimum timeline where we're either going to sell the property or refinance. And then at that point, yes, we cash out everybody's capital and then we do 25, 25 and then 50 for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And we've done with the rent to owns and with Jag, we've done a lot of joint venture partners and you're right. The traditional way is the 50, 50, the big majority of a lot of the joint venture partnerships that we've done are 50, 50. And we've done something in a similar way that you just mentioned where Somebody had capital and couldn't qualify and somebody could qualify and couldn't capital or had capital, sorry. And they already had already had a pre-existing relationship. Right. So that made it really easy. But I love what you're doing is you're partnering what I think is like complete strangers maybe, right? And they're, and they're working together for that same goal, but they have the same goal that they want to achieve some type of return from real estate and, and get better returns than they're getting on their RSPs or, or TSPs, all that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, that's cool. All right. So what do you have planned? Like what's coming up in your future? What are some of your goals? What do you want to do in the next year, three, five, 10? I don't know. What, what are some goals that you set for yourself? How far advanced do you, do you look? Uh, that's actually a great question. I would say like I have some pretty solid like short-term goals and then obviously like my long-term. This year it was just to get as many properties as I can. Like I, last year was obviously a bit of a slower year for, for me because everyone kind of knows like about my family history and my dad and everything. So it was just, you know, I took a bit of a pause in my portfolio and this year I really wanted to just like come out of the gate strong. I'm looking to do a bunch of duplex conversions and triplex conversions. That's kind of my, my model this year is allowing me to kind of double my doors and really, like I said, kind of utilize all this capital and, and mortgage holders that I have just kind of floating around right now. I'm also looking to acquire an apartment building this year, which is exciting. Anything like 15 units and above, I'm looking at acquiring with a couple of partners, which is exciting. And in terms of more, I guess, like personal goals for a lot of you that know, like my partner's in grad school. So by the end of this year, my goal is to, cause he graduates in October, that we have like his student debt pretty much like all paid down all of my debt will be paid off and we're looking at buying a house actually. So those are some That's of my awesome. exciting kind of, yeah, short term goals. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. So the next part of our podcast is our famous lightning round. So everybody gets the same four questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> it's now time for the lightning round. 
This week's lightning round is brought to you by Laurel Simmons. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced real estate investor or a beginner. It's really easy to lose focus and not accomplish what you set out to do. And when you get right down to it, the reason usually is pretty basic. Your why isn't big enough or clear enough to keep you going. Don't give up. Don't stop. Take a breather from your busy day and think about what you've set out to do and why you're doing it. And while you're taking a break, go to www.thewhyfactorbook.com. There you can sign up to find out when Laurel's upcoming book, The Why Factor, Why I Eat and Drink My Way Around the World, and Why You Can Too, will be released. And when you do, you'll get free access to a short audio called What's Your Story? Question number one, Sarah, what is the best advice you've ever received from another investor or at a networking event? Hold on, I don't want to answer this one for you, Sarah, but we met at another networking event and I told you to come to the right club. <laughs> So I'm answering that one for her, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was true. And I will admit that was probably like definitely up there in like the top like, <laughs> of advice. Ever. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Sarah. <laughs> I would say it's probably not to get emotional about investing. I had a, an investor tell me once like not to let the numbers control you, not to let the heat of the moment get to you. And we all saw that in like the 2017 boom. I think it's super important to keep like a level head and keep the emotion out of your analysis. That is such a fantastic answer. And I honestly, I can relate with that one. When I was going out and buying the triplex that I'm living in now, I remember I, I looked at a few different properties and I was getting so emotionally attached to it because I was going to be living there. Yeah. And thank God, like, I'm so lucky that I have a great business partner who's very focused on the numbers. And I was just like, you analyze it. I can't look at these properties anymore. Like, if it's a good deal, I'm going to go there. If it's not, I'm not. I, I couldn't do it. So yeah, removing the emotion, looking at it as a business decision, key so key so all right question number two what is your favorite real estate investing resource good question i would say i guess for like an online resource i love bigger pockets i feel like like their forum boards and like their webinars and like podcasts are really cool even now that i'm like a little more advanced i find that if i need maybe because they're based in the states and i think they think they're really outside the box because they're a lot less regulated than we are they have lots of cool stuff when it comes to private lending creative financing things that i am looking to do that's a little more outside of the box i found it really helpful very cool that's a great resource as well question number three what is the one attribute that has made you most successful Ooh, these are really good questions. <laughs> you know what? I have to say it's perseverance, especially being a joint venture partner. If I had given up after my first like 20 meetings I went to that didn't result in a deal, the five to 10 phone calls I do like every single day with money partners, if I wasn't able to just pick back up and do it day after day, there's no way I'd be where I am now for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. You need that perseverance. You need to I think you need to hear no 99 times to hear yes once, right? Like that's yeah. that mentality is you're not going to let anything stop you, right? So, all right, last question of the lightning round. It's a typical Sunday morning. What are you doing? This is actually an interesting question because Sundays are the only day that I take off from real estate. So I work really hard during the week. Like you will find me, like if someone calls me at like 11 PM for like a private deal, I'm on my laptop, like doing up an analysis. If I need to get up at you know 6 AM to drive to Toronto, which happened to be the other day to meet a money partner, like two hours away, 
I'll do it. But I'm also like a really big family person and I'm a big believer in, I mean, my partner's a psychologist. So, you know, we're big on like mindfulness and burnout and things like that. So honestly, on a Sunday morning, if we're not at church, I'm just doing like housework, reading, meditation. Like it's definitely my day to kind of recharge and reconnect before kicking into the next week. Amazing. Great answer, Sarah. So Sarah, if, if listeners wanted to reach out and know more about you, where can they go? I have a handle across my Facebook and Instagram. If you guys want to find me, it's at Sarah Etter Invest. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, definitely. And you can definitely meet Sarah Etter at the Right Club. She's at a lot of our events. She's one of our ambassadors, a big, big supporter of the Right Club. Thank you for joining us today. And before we let you go, any last words of advice for new aspiring investors, investors that are seasoned, that are experienced? What's some just some advice that you, you have for, for our listeners? I would say that for anyone that's hit kind of like a roadblock in their portfolio, even like seasoned investors that maybe feel like they're not getting the growth that they want, or for newbies that are starting out that feel like they're trapped and maybe they can't get mortgage qualification, educate yourself on joint ventures. People get really scared about the legalities, being responsible for a lot of other people's money, but get yourself educated, learn as much as you can about it because it can really just take your portfolio to the next level. Very well said. Well, on that note, Sarah, Edder, thank you so much for being on our show. We really, really appreciate the insight. And Sarah is also going to be speaking in the spring at one of her events. And a little sneak peek, what are you going to be talking about? Joint ventures. <laughs> and probably nice. a bit of stuff on social media and things like that. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. So yeah, come out to the Right Club, guys, and listen to Sarah or come out and meet Sarah. So thank you so much, Sarah, for being on our show and look forward to seeing you at our next event. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. It's been awesome. Awesome, thank you. Wow, what a great conversation with Sarah. That was awesome. She touched upon a lot of important things that we always talk about the Right Club, right? Building the relationship, getting the experience. Yeah, what did you think, Sarah? Yeah, it was a great, great podcast. I mean, she's definitely, I admire her a lot. I mean, she just went from zero to being able to raise capital, being able to hustle to find her deals and put pieces together. And she really just had nothing starting out. Now she's, um, you know, I know her personally and she's, she's helping her family again and helping her mom, which is great to see. So I really definitely commend her for all she's accomplished. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, and some practical tips that I took from the interview letter of intent so we've done that with our joint venture partners people that we've worked with talk to your lawyer we're not lawyers or anything like that but get that document in place that letter of intent that really makes it serious to see that that partnership right to, to get that so a lot of practical advice hope you guys enjoyed that podcast we want to hear from you guys we want to hear from the right club nation rate review the podcast let us know what you think email us sarah at the right club.com alfonso at the right club.com get onto the website come out to the events we want to hear from you like the live events this podcast is your podcast we want to hear from you and if you want to be on the podcast like i said before reach out and we want to hear from you so um, absolutely so it's really great to have you as a co-host and uh right club nation we will talk to you again next week Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.